Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking about pregnancy after loss. How do you navigate the fear, manage the stress, and relearn trust in order to let joy back in? What support systems should you put in place for both you and your partner? How do you deal with the new normal of being happy and sad at the same time? Melissa Karwecki is back to share her wisdom and knowledge. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Natural Breastfeeding and their free quick start video. Created by breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nespit and Nancy Moorbacher, this video will show you what you need to know to get started with natural breastfeeding. Go watch it at naturalbreastfeeding.com. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Megan Othling, a birth doula in Albuquerque who is all about offering women the information and support they need to make their own empowered birth choices. Learn more at womanofvalorbirth.com. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty mamas and mamas-to-be, and hello, mighty dads and dads-to-be. As always, thank you for listening and for all the love you give the show. If you find that this podcast is making a difference in your life, then one of the easiest ways you can support it is by leaving a written review on iTunes and by subscribing. It really helps. And if you want to learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, and more, then go to birthfall.com. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about pregnancy after loss with the inspiring Melissa Krowecki, who was my guest last week as well. And if you haven't listened to that episode about help syndrome and trauma, you may want to go review it, but you don't have to. I mean, awesome if you do. Um, but the two episodes do stand alone, stand on their own, even though they are related. I do want to give you a warning that if you've experienced pregnancy loss, then this episode may be triggering to you. Before we move on to our talk, let me tell you a bit about Melissa. She is an author, advocate, wife, and mother of two children, one living and one deceased. She has used grief to propel her work as a blogger and is author of the published book In the Shade of Ava's Tree, published with Preclarious Press in 2015. She works alongside the bereaved and honoring grief, as well as teaching birth workers about loss and birth trauma. A PTSD survivor, EMDR advocate, and experienced in pregnancy after loss, Melissa has created the Navigating Pregnancy After Loss workshop and the Supporting the Bereaved workshop, which are all tailored toward these experiences. Melissa is a course creator and professor of thanatology, and she facilitates several grief groups and donates her time and her community as co-creator of the Elgin Community Pregnancy Infant and Child Peer Support Group. Melissa lives in St. Thomas, Ontario with her husband and daughter, remembering Ava always. Melissa, welcome back. For those listeners who didn't catch the episode we did together last week on help syndrome and trauma, would you mind giving the broad strokes version of your story? Thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely honored to be part of Birthfall's podcast, so thank you, thank you. Um, yes, I'm Melissa, and I am the author of In the Shade of Ava's Tree. I had a daughter in 2011, and in that time, I was diagnosed with HELP syndrome, which is a variant of preeclampsia. Uh, I became very ill and became um, very, very sick. My daughter passed away, 
and I was in intensive care because of it. HELP syndrome is a very dangerous and uh, very often fast-acting disorder in pregnancy. So I encourage people to check out proclampsia.org to get further information about it. Um, I then went forward after our first pregnancy. A year later, I found out I was pregnant with our second daughter. And I'm honored to be here today to talk a bit about pregnancy after loss and grieving and being pregnant. And I am honored that you are here because I do, I'm, I'm, I'm such a fan of what you do and, and so grateful of the work you do and, and sharing your family's story with the world because it, it, it's really important to, to talk about these things. They happen more often than we think about it. And one of the things that I commented, uh, I've, I've mentioned to you before, is I did read your whole book in one sitting, as as you say most people do. Yes. <laughs> and I, one of the things I appreciated the most about it is how you told the story, because I could really connect, if even if though I can't understand necessarily the details and the specifics of what you were going through because each person is such an individual I can I I got the details I got I could empathize with it a lot more because of the way you told the story and and I think we need to tell our grieving stories and our trauma stories and our experiences more in that way because it did feel more real. It did feel just more more empathy for sure. Oh, thank you. Um, telling this story, I was very motivated by the fact that when I got home from the hospital, I didn't have any supports of people who'd gone through similar syndromes, but as well as grief support, pregnancy after loss support, all of it. And I was very motivated by the fact that I just simply wanted to hear somebody else's story and what they had gone through so that I could maybe pick out a few pieces and say, well, wait, that's a bit like what we went through and to gain comfort in that lack of isolation for better term. Um, so to hear that you're able to read our story and to feel like you are able to empathize and, and gain knowledge from it means a lot. Mm, Absolutely. And one of the phrases that really struck with me from your story, and I think this applies to the work you're doing, but I think it applies also at different levels is, um, that pain needs purpose. Can Mm. you speak? Speak more to that, and 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 if that comes further along in our talk, then we can move it further along. But I, that's just one of the phrases that really stuck with me. And is that is that also a kind of coping mechanism to get you through what you're experiencing? It absolutely is a coping mechanism. Um, I was. First, initially waking up in the hospital and going through the recovery process, I was really struck by the thought that our daughter's life, our daughter that passed away, that her life was going to be defined by our actions from that moment forward. Normally, when a child is born, that child 
life, they get to live it and they get to define their own life and they get to move on with their own life and you get to support them in it. Whereas with a child that dies at birth, their life story essentially is defined by the people around them in those moments. That really drove me in the initial days of grief to really begin to wrap my head around the idea that this is pain, um, but this pain actually has purpose. And that purpose is Ava. That purpose is my girl. Um, and so every action I've made in regards to talking about help syndrome, talking about grief after loss, grief and loss, um, pregnancy after loss has really been motivated by the idea that her life is defined by my actions now. And that is a legacy that I have to honor and do so um, very respectfully. And I think one of the clearest ways that that comes through is, and and that's very unique to you, is how you speak about her. And I think Mm -hmm. that might have been a conscious choice, but you more than anybody that I have come in contact with who has experienced loss, when they talk about the child they lost, you make her present all the time, constantly. Well, thank you. Um, it's, it's simply because she is present for me. Um, I, I think it's a balance of, um, recognizing her life as, as valid and, and as being present in here, but also being able to be present in my life without her. Um, but I do strive to make her be present because I do think of her. It's as simple as driving down the street and a song comes on the radio that reminds me of her and reminds her of my pregnancy or perhaps even grief. And it's like this little wink, this little hello from her that you, you're brought into. Um, I, I do. She's part of my life. And, and for you know, usually when when somebody has a loss, it it as a society we're not comfortable talking about this and addressing it and supporting people, yeah. and so it, sometimes even acknowledging years later. I mean, we come up with these words that that and phrases that can be so hurtful of like, oh, you'll have another kid. Oh, no. you know, you can get you'll get over it. Oh, you and and I think sometimes people who have experienced loss sort of comply with that and just nod their heads because they don't want to make the other person uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. Make no mistake. I've had people run away from me in the grocery store because they're pregnant. Um, right. Like make, there's, there's no mistake that a lot of grief behavior that, that women take on families take on is because they know that people aren't comfortable with grief. Um, I'm very well aware that um, people aren't comfortable with the fact that my child died. Um, so the reactions that people have often can be very, they're very, the actions that people take are often very self-motivated. They want to make you feel better. They are very well intended. Um, and that's often the lens you have to look at them when they'll tell you that God just wanted another angel or something else that can perhaps be very hurtful to families that are in the midst of grieving their child. Yeah. And, but, but I think what I want the point I want to make uh, come across is that I appreciate how by you 
and your family making her so present and speaking of your daughter as I have, you know, this is my, I have two daughters and, and, yes. and one is alive and one is not. And, and that of you, you already set the tone and the stage for how people can address that. And by doing so, take a lot of the uncomfortableness out, I don't know if that's a word, but out of it, <laughs> where it's that's like, fabulous. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's like, okay, yes, we can absolutely acknowledge this. And then I, I don't feel that I'm going to hurt you by asking you, you know, how, how are you doing these, this holiday season? Um, or I, I thought yeah. of something about Ava, you know, that how to relate yeah. to that part of it. I, I absolutely get that. Um, it's, I consider it an ultimate compliment when somebody will introduce me, oh, this is Ava's mom. The idea that I'm as equal a parent to both of my children, um, that would happen if Ava was living. Um, so absolutely, it is a misnomer, it's a misidea of grief that women or families that are grieving children don't want to hear their child's name, that they don't think of them at the holidays, and that you saying anything is inappropriate. Absolutely not. This is a time to include that child's name on your Christmas card. This is a time to include um, any time that you happen to think of the child that's missing and to let that family know random acts of kindness, things like that. These are all things that are very appreciated. Um, I'm not alone in my stance on how I include our daughter. I have many, many friends that are lost friends that have, that have lost babies as well, and Many of them um, speak of their children as I do and include their babies in the similar ways that I do. Mm -hmm. And I, and yes, thank you. Because that is, it, it helps everybody get the awkwardness out, I think. Yes. And get it out of the way. <laughs> get it out of the way. Get it out of yeah. the way. And that is huge. Like that is, is, I think, a very good way of trying to navigate that reality of um, of the loss. What? How do you take that one step further and going deeper into the topic we're talking about today of navigating pregnancy after loss, of dealing with that situation, or, or how do you encompass an, uh, a, a second pregnancy and or, or, or a subsequent pregnancy um, and the relation to the living child with the child that's no longer here. So the pregnancy itself? For, as in coping mechanisms of, of not coping mechanisms, but ways of navigating um, the, the new pregnancy. And does this change at all of, you know, how you were relating to your child and, and people around you and your outlook on your life when you were only in the place of loss and then now when you are in a new pregnancy um, or even have given birth to a, a living child. Make no mistake, a pregnancy after a loss is not for the weak of heart. It is a very um, difficult and um, trying time for uh, the entire family. I think that navigating it comes down to um, really assessing your supports that you have in place for, for going through it and for how you're going to um, 
walk this walk this road because each pregnancy and each child deserves its own time and the dance and of carrying the weight of losing a child along with a new baby growing in your belly is um well it, it's exhausting it's a very difficult thing to do and the only way i found to be able to do it with grace of of any kind was to really um, get my supports in place, my emotional supports, my actual physical supports, people who could help make my life easier, my medical supports, which in my case were substantial. Um, Being able to allow myself the forgiveness of taking care of myself, which as women, we sometimes really suck at, um, that ability to self-care and to realize that that's actually taking care of me and my baby that I'm growing in my belly. it's a delicate dance and that hasn't necessarily ended now that I have a living child as well as a child that's passed away that, um, that dance of it's a grief season for me, or perhaps it's uh, Ava's birthday and it's a difficult time for me with grief. And I have a rambunctious, beautiful, vivacious four-year-old who's uh, trying to climb the furniture as four-year-olds do. Um, the same key things that I learned to how to handle the stress of a pregnancy after loss, I still end up using them at times of high grief uh, in my life now. What are some of those things that you learned? Um, I touch on a few of them, and some of them are just so, so big. Um, recognizing your limitations and not really having, not really being apologetic about when you hit them. For me, um, I'm an introvert by nature. Um, and I need that quiet downtime to feel like myself. So being able to say no to things and be okay with that is very key to me. Um, getting my team of support people around me. So you know what? Yeah, I'm hiring a sitter for tonight. Or yeah, I need to be able to take a time out right now and to have somebody else take the wheel right now. Um, that stress management piece is really, really key. Being able to reach out to those loved ones when you need to be able to help you out in those way. I also think that it's really key that pregnancy after loss, that um, we recognize people management is a very real thing. Um, Pregnancy after loss is a very stressful thing for all of those involved, extended family members that are very invested and very loving, um, will absolutely badger you beyond belief as to how are you doing? Is everything okay? What about that latest doctor's appointment? Um, so having somebody who can help you people manage is very, very key. Um, in my case, um, as I talk about in the shade of Ava's tree, um, um, my sister was my people manager. She, (laughs) she kept everybody in line and kept my, my emails to a minimum so that I could just focus on being my baby's advocate, which was really, really important. Mm -hmm. And And focusing on, on your self care and, and, and the things, mm -hmm. yeah, what, what you needed to focus on. Melissa, you mentioned um, giving the grieving period its own time before Mm -hmm. considering a new pregnancy and giving that pregnancy its own time. Is there a recommended time or a suggested time or what, what what do you recommend? I think it's a very individual process. Um, I'm the abnormal. Um, I know I'm the abnormal in the amount of time that I waited in between my pregnancies. Our doctor told us to wait a year to get pregnant again. When he told me those words, it was like receiving a jail sentence. 
Um, grief was very difficult. It was the early stages. It was the early days and I was up to my elbows in it. And it felt like he just told me I was going to spend another year in misery with no hope. Um, but I actually did. I took the full year in between the two. Um, we marked 2011 as being Ava's year. Uh, she was born in February and we didn't, uh, find out we were pregnant with Lillian until February of 2012. So it really was Ava's year. Um, I've known others that, um, have gotten pregnant within weeks of their loss. Um, and they've said that at times it was more difficult because they were balancing the stress of a new pregnancy and the high days of grief. Yet others have said that they found that comfort comforting that they had something to focus on. It's a very individual thing. Um, I would say that I knew that about halfway through our year of debate of what are we going to do, I knew I had made the right decision to wait that time. Um, it just gave us the space to grieve and it gave my husband and I time to rebuild myself, to rebuild physically because I had gone through tremendous medical trauma. So it allowed me to get my PTSD and my trauma in order. Um, it allowed me to put myself back together again. And I think, you know, we hear a lot for when you're thinking about getting pregnant, regardless of first pregnancy or subsequent pregnancy of it's best if you are healthy. And mm. I think it's important to take into account that the the mental health part of that I think is also what you're speaking yes. to of, you know, you need to be healthy at all levels. Um, and, and I can appreciate how that can be different. People will define that at different, at different times. Yeah. Grief, grief on a whole grief is healthy, right? Let's, mm -hmm. um, grieving can be healthy. Um, there is such thing as, you know, complicated grief, which can be unhealthy, but grieving itself as an act is healthy. However, um, if you find that you're suffering from anxiety or post-traumatic stress, depression, um, any of the other um, disorders or mental health conditions that can be related to loss, I think it is important that you take that time um, to be well um, because adding a pregnancy after a loss is adding a joy and it's adding a stressor, a very large stressor. Um, and it's important to be ready for that. What are some of the ways that moms uh, can, people who are going through this can deal with the feelings that, that sort of that dichotomy of feelings and sometimes opposing of happiness and sadness or, you know, joy and anger that can come up during this process? I think that it's important to set milestones for yourself in this process. Um, milestones will allow you to be able to experience some joy with a subsequent pregnancy. Um, you know, be that getting past a certain mark or through a certain test or be that um, doing things a little bit differently than your last pregnancy. Um, something as simple as and as seemingly on the surface as something like maternity photos, things like this can create those little in incentives is the wrong word, but those little moments of joy to allow the joy to filter in. I think that grieving mothers are absolute pros at being sad while happy. Um, it's 
an expression one of my very close lost friends refers to as brutal. Like it's brutal and it's beautiful. It's brutal. Um, and I think she's exactly right. There are many times where that sadness is there and the joy creeps in on top of it. And you, you become absolutely a professional at, at coping with both of them, at going to the children's party and having a cry in the bathroom and then getting back out and, and doing it again. Um, it's, it's a coping mechanism that a lot of women use. Um, and I think it's also worthy of noting that when grief comes, grief comes and that's okay. Grief doesn't hurt your baby and crying doesn't hurt your baby. Remembering your child that's lost doesn't hurt your baby. Um, it's, it's important to allow those emotions to come when they come and then the joy can come in after that. Hmm. That's a huge, great point. What about the, you're talking just now reminding me there's, there can be, because you're going through kind of the same steps again, all these triggering moments and having mm-hmm. pregnancy be something that is happening in your body. You can have, you know, muscle memory and things that are triggering, not just mentally or not just according to the calendar, but also intrinsically inside of you. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of those things that, that moms need to think about, consider when, and can help with these triggering situations? Um, I think that those triggers come along throughout the pregnancy. Uh, you'll hear a lot of women talk about how they'll want to do everything exactly the same as the last pregnancy or that in which they lost or they want to do nothing the same so we did maternity photos there's no way I'm doing that or we did you know we had this happen in this pregnancy and there's no way I'm doing that um oftentimes those moments those little uh, milestones that come along will trigger you and you will be concerned about you know does this mean it's going to happen again um, this is where, um, I go back to the first point that I have in, in, in the shade of Avis tree, which is about how important your team of people is your emotional team, your medical team, those people that are there to support you in every single way that when you are at that moment of fear of the pregnancy's health, you can call upon a doctor that you can actually trust, which can be very hard for some moms, um, So you have a doctor you can actually trust when you're at that moment of, you know, okay, it's, I'm now more pregnant than I've ever been. I've never been 35 weeks pregnant or I've never been 36 weeks pregnant. I've always lost my babies before then. How am I going to cope with this now? It's important that you get in place those emotional people who can be there for you on that 36th day. And what I can also say after living through what I have and supporting women as I do through our grief group and other organizations that I take part in, it's often the lead up to those milestones that are far more stressing than the milestone itself. So make sure you have those people around you supporting you going into those milestones, not necessarily necessary for the day itself, but going into them because it's always Christmas Eve that bites a little bit more than Christmas Day. It's always the day before your baby's birthday that bites a little bit more than the birthday itself. So get those supports in place so that you feel as if you've got your people around you loving you and supporting your decisions and supporting your grief. When you have, then you just brought up the holidays, which is something we're coming up on. 
And that can be, I imagine, especially hard just because you have all these fabulous dreams of, of they're momentous, right? They're supposed to be mm-hmm. moments of family and joy and, and things. Is there anything specific to the holidays that you suggest that can be helpful to safeguard? For who? Hmm. For, I think every, for you? I think every, go ahead. <laughs> for me? Yeah. For me, um, I think that I need to allow some space for Ava over the holidays for me to have that moment. Um, otherwise, she turns into the elephant in the room, just as we were talking about earlier. And that isn't, that isn't a good thing. Um, so for me, I've created a ritual. I'm, I, I love rituals. Um, I've created a ritual that on Christmas Eve we go and we decorate her tree. There is actually a tree <laughs> in the shade of Ava's tree. There's actually an actual tree. Um, and we go and we decorate her tree on Christmas Eve. And that for me is our moment spending some time with her. Um, I'm, I am also a very big fan of being able to simply light a candle and have that on the table during family meals as a small moment of sort of recognizing that this is her space and, and we're including her in our family and in our family meal and in our memory for that day. Um, so oftentimes it's simply that women don't feel or family may not feel that they can bring up their baby that they've lost, especially around such a joyful yet difficult time as the holidays. So what I encourage is people just find a little space and you'll find that your grief is probably a little bit less if you just spend 10 minutes with it. Just a little space. And I'm glad you mentioned Ava's tree because um, reading your book, when you, the import, we didn't talk about um, during the last episode and I think this is a good time to talk about it about memorializing and having those special mementos and I I remember reading that when you were thinking of what to have for Ava as a service you wanted something living and then that's how how you came up with the tree and and the way you chose the tree was beautiful so people need to go and read the book (laughs) (laughs) so they can find out how how you chose the tree um but yeah in terms of those mementos or ways to you know to memorialize your child there every family every culture has its own attempt to memorialization and has its own ritual um Every faith-based background has its own. I think that um, oftentimes memorial decisions are made in the in the moment where um, a a family member has passed away, and we need to quickly make a decision because that's what the body dictates. Um, I often find um, if everybody just takes a minute of brevity and to sort of think about what they want for themselves. I've seen in my own experience, by no means scientific, but my own experience, I've seen a lot of families choose cremation because it gives them some time to think about things. Also, I've seen a lot of parents choose to have their family's ashes at home, um, particularly with children. I've, I've seen it. It's the majority of the time um, that those that have had uh, their child pass away choose cremation to keep their remains at home. Um, I think that that's every family's choosing. Those memorial pieces can happen 
um, in a larger sense, in a traditional funeral sense, or they can happen in those simple ways that you remember. Um, I love the little things myself. I love the candle on the table. I love Christmas bells on her tree. I love the fact that my parents planted the same type of her tree in their backyard so that they can see it every day. Um, those little memory, those little ways to remember to me hold so much more weight, um, and sort of allow me to include her as present in such a really healthy way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's a balance of, of the big things and little things all together because the, they're kind of always in your heart. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah, they are. We're going to take a quick break, but we, when we come back, I want to talk about the, like, what to say, what not to say, and, <laughs> yes. and also the consideration about once you have, you're bringing this rainbow baby home, what, mm-hmm. what you need to think about for them. Yes. We'll be right back. Hey, Mighty Mama. Have you checked out Natural Breastfeeding's Quick Start video yet? No? Then what are you waiting for? Here are three reasons why you need to watch it. First, it was created by world-renowned breastfeeding experts Dr. Teresa Nesbitt and Nancy Moorbacher, two ladies that I truly admire, whom you may also remember from past podcast episodes. Second, I know that natural breastfeeding works since this is exactly what I teach my doula clients to get breastfeeding off to a fabulous start. And third, it's free. The quick start video is 38 minutes of solid information that will show you the simplest way to help a newborn latch, as well as the best way to produce enough milk for your baby and they are not going to ask you to buy any additional stuff at the end so if you're planning on breastfeeding or got started recently then you need to watch it simply go to naturalbreastfeeding.com to learn more And we're back, and I am talking with Melissa Krowecki. Did I say that right? I'm always like, every time I'm going to say it, I'm like, ah, I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> Krowecki, you did a great job. Uh, um, and who's the author of In, Ava, In the Shade of Ava's Tree, and also is has many support groups and, and does a lot, of, um, a lot of great resources for parents that are experiencing loss and also for pregnancy after loss, which is what we're talking about today. And before we left, we were going to say, talk, we said we were going to talk about the the more lighthearted, what to say and what not to say to people who are going through this situation, because those what not to say are really important. I know you have a big list, Melissa. <laughs> I do. I have a big list. Um, Carol Pete and I created this list together. Carol Pete being a practitioner up in London, Ontario. Her and I created this list together as we were doing a chat at a conference um, for Birth and Beyond um, many years ago now. And it just, it just, I just keep talking about it because it's such a key point um, that we need to really think about how we're treating the bereaved and the things that we say that we've sort of told ourselves are appropriate things to say to the bereaved that often can be really difficult and really hurtful and that we can have some much better things to say, much better. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those things we should not say? Um, when, you're, when your sister, when your mother, when your dog died, this is a particular uh, one that I receive a lot. Uh, well, when my dog died, I experienced something like you have. Uh, no, no, no. Losing a pet is not the same. Even losing children, I sit in support groups and I sit knee to knee with women 
almost every week and no experience is actually the same we can understand a lot but comparing grief um, doesn't get you anywhere so um, I think it's important that we remember that another one that I often talk about is I can't imagine what you're going through Um, it's a vernacular that we seem to have in English oh I can't I can't imagine what you're going through I just can't imagine we say it all the time um And it's often said to women paired with the idea of, well, you're just so strong. You're just so strong. I can't imagine what you're going through. Both of these statements um, are very isolating. To say that you can't imagine what I'm going through because what I'm going through is so horrible, thus sort of makes it sound like your life is so great and my life is so bad. It's really not a, a helpful way in which to lend support. Um, we can do better than that. Um, the idea of somebody being strong and applauding them on that. Well, I'm, I may be strong in the moment. Perhaps you're seeing me right now walking down the street and you can say that I'm strong because I look like I'm well put together, but it's not that I'm strong. It's just that I'm polite and I'm out in the world. Um, so we can, we can do better than that. Um, tell me the story. Um, Tell me the story is one that I often hear as well. What happened? Oh my goodness, you were pregnant and you're not? Where's your baby? What happened? Um, Women who have suffered the loss of a child almost always are victims of trauma. Be that um, emotional trauma, be that medical trauma, um, they are victims of trauma. And I think that to satisfy your own curiosity as to what's happened to this family isn't worth making a family perhaps relive, trigger, or go back through something that can be really difficult for them. Um, I always encourage if you're concerned about someone, you wonder what's happened, to go to somebody outside of that person. So, um, you know, my friend was pregnant and now she's not and I don't know what happened. You need to go to somebody outside of your friend to find out what's happened so that you can lend support. Um, because asking somebody to relive it, it's just not okay. Um, I'll bring you dinner tomorrow night is another one on my list. Honest to goodness, Adriana, do you want to know how many lasagnas I ate? (laughs) How many did you eat, Melissa? Oh, God, like 16 (laughs) lasagnas. Like, like they were stacked in our freezer. It was, I still can't eat lasagna. No. Like, it was 2011, you think I'd be over it? Mm, no, no, I can't eat lasagna. There, there are so many other things we can do that bringing dinner food is a traditional grief support. Um, but yet my dog needed walking yet our baby died in February and my husband, it was the largest snowfall amount Ontario had seen in years. My husband was digging out our driveway every single day by feet of snow by himself. Our garbage needed taking out. Um, I could have used a vacuum through the house. I I couldn't physically do any of these things because of my condition, but you know what? We had lasagna for dinner. Like (laughs) we can, we can do better. There are so many other great supports we can offer families. Yeah. And I think that one goes back to people not wanting to not knowing how to act and not, so they're trying to like do something, but not be around you. Yeah. Right. I'm just bringing lasagna and I'll walk away. But then I'll run away to my car because I don't actually know how to handle this. Um, It's really something I do talk about in the book about under the section of things to say and things to Mm -hmm. do. It's the idea of being able to hold that space with someone 
and not have to try to fix it. You can't, unless you have my daughter somewhere on your person, you can't give me what I want right now. So instead, be with me. Hold that space with me. Don't fix it. Be with me. And that's something that our grief culture tells us we shouldn't do or doesn't say is helpful when really is what families need most. Hmm. And then that allows you people to understand a way to shovel that driveway or vacuum your carpet or do all of these things because actually you can just go in and do those things and not say anything. That's right. That's absolutely right. And so many of our friends that have taught me so much about grief did just that for us, where they would show up and the dog would be walked and there would be a note on the counter. Um, you know, things like that, that go so far to show love and compassion for a family that's hurting. Um, that doesn't have to necessarily be what our culture has taught us is grief support. Mm -hmm. And I've got to confess that while you were saying the, the, the list, I know that I am one to often say the I can't imagine. And I think my intention mm -hmm. is not like... Because I feel that trying to say that I can imagine what you're going through is insulting. Because yeah. I haven't gone through it. I don't want to insult you. So, Fair. you know, I say that from a respectful place. But what's something better to say instead of I can't imagine or I can't imagine? I hear you. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I hear you is really, really powerful. Um, being able to simply have somebody telling you their grief, wherever that grief is that day, be it, I didn't get to hold her for very long. Does that make me a bad mom? Right. Grief expressions that, that women are, that families come out with and they're, they're telling you their story in their way and they're grieving in front of you and they say, I just, does this make me a bad mom or what does this mean? And they're crying and you take her hands and you look her in the eyes and you say, I hear you. I hear your pain is so much more validating than I just can't imagine. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, doesn't cut it. Um, the other thing is to normalize the grief experience in so much as not to make it seem trite as if to say, Oh, it's okay. Cause it's not okay. Your kids died. That's not okay. But to normalize the grief experience and to be there and say, you know, it's okay that you are upset. It's okay that you're crying this is normal when oftentimes <laughs> we so prepare to bring home a baby we read all the books we do all the things that you're supposed to do but nobody's ever taught you how to grieve and nobody's ever taught you how to parent a child that's passed away mm. nobody's taught you that that's not in the what to expect book <laughs> it's just not um, so oftentimes women become very preoccupied or families can become preoccupied with the notion of what is appropriate and what's not. Um, so they can be easily swayed by their care providers. They can be easily swayed by their support people to act a certain way because they're afraid of seeming like they're inappropriate. So I won't cry at the doctor's appointment because he'll think I'm depressed. No, right. We can't do that. We can't allow ourselves to hide how we feel because of what we think is inappropriate. So normalizing grief is a really healthy way for families to feel like they can grieve and be supported. Mm. 
What about the last thing I wanted to talk about was of the big moment of bringing this new, your rainbow baby, bringing mm-hmm. your rainbow baby home. Mm-hmm. That moment. Um, oh, that moment. Bringing home a baby after loss is different for everyone, much like um, much of pregnancy. Um, but I think that it's important that we remember that the grief journey doesn't stop just because um, a new little person has come home. I think what surprised me most about bringing home our second child, our daughter Lillian, is that um, the grief didn't stop, but joy returned. In that first year of grief, and second year of grief as I was pregnant, I remember not feeling a ton of joy in my life. It's hard to feel joy when you're in the height of grieving. But when I brought her home, there was a renewal of joy in my life. The joy suddenly returned. Um, And that can come with a bittersweetness to it, where you feel bad for feeling good, um, which is a bit of a funny statement. Um, So I think it's important that families that are bringing home their rainbow baby, that are bringing home a baby after loss, keep in mind that the supports that they needed to get through that pregnancy, they're still going to need them on the other end. Um, One of my biggest regrets with Lillian's pregnancy and um, post-pregnancy was that I didn't have a doula, which is shocking to me because all of my friends are doulas now. Um, I don't know how I let this happen to me. Mm. (laughs) I didn't didn't have have one either. Have one, uh, right? No, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a doula, and my best friend in the whole world now is a doula, and um, I, I let myself down. Um, post having a baby, having a, a rainbow baby, and bringing a baby home, that doula support after birth is going to be really important. Um, or somebody who can act in a doula role is going to be really, really important. Um, And to still recognize that that grief space is going to be ongoing. So that support needs to be happening. I talked a bit about in the book about allowing yourself to bond with baby. And it's tough because it's learning to trust again in a whole new way. Um, I had to force myself to bond. And I don't think I fully did bond with our daughter that's now living for probably until a full month after she was born, that really it took time. It came in drips. It came in and I had to allow it to come patiently. Um, that is okay too. Um, there's nothing wrong with that taking its time because you are so afraid of losing again. You're so afraid of having it happen again that um, there is a part of your heart that you still hold on to and you still protect. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to 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 also acknowledge the fact that you are going through a postpartum period, which by definition and by just the nature of it is ridiculously tough in terms of who you are and your personality and your new identity and all the internal process that you're having when you go from, you know, to to being a mom to to this child and adding the level of grief and all these other feelings and having the layer of loss, I, it had, you know, it brings in a whole new component yes. of, of difficulty. And how do you 
navigate all that? Um, a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, a really good sense of humor um, and a lot of self-permission. Um, this is not a time to be, to be super mama, super daddy. This is not a time for that. Um, my husband was very key in every single way of my surviving the loss of Ava physically, emotionally, as well as the birth of Lillian and bringing her home. Um, your support people are key. Um, you know, humor goes a long way. Um, and being present goes a long way. Um, you know, it's strange that what happens is all of a sudden you get a return to what seems like normalcy. When you've lost a child, everything you think about the world is turned upside down and it's emptied out on the floor and it doesn't exist anymore. With the birth of a new child, you find that there's some normalcy that comes back and all of a sudden you get welcomed back into the mom club and you, and you have to have that normalcy return back into your life in a way that's very different. Um, that normalcy is actually kind of grounding. I still remember the first time walking the halls with Lillian who had colic, bless her, um, and walking the halls. And I remember the first night when I had to do it, looking at her and just being so grateful I got to walk the halls with her. Um, there's a whole new perspective that happens with loss. And don't get me wrong, by the third night, I was over it. <laughs> a little less grateful. Um, a little less grateful. <laughs> Go to sleep now. Um, but there is that that happens for um, for lost moms where it just every it just doesn't escape me how fortunate I am that's mm. for sure and uh, you reminded me of something that I that was uh, very it stuck with me from the book of your loss realizing that that was somebody telling you that that was your new normal like that mm. this is it and and how difficult that is to accept because it's it's having a, a dark place be normal Mm -hmm. and it it's it's encouraging or it's it it is encouraging to hear um that have you know within the situation that can be so stressful of bringing this new baby home that you do get this return to normalcy in a way that doesn't diminish and deny no not at all no you know what Uh, happened yeah i totally get what you're saying um yeah, that, that, that was Carol Pete that actually uh, gave me that expression of the new normal that we Shout had. out to Carol. Shout out to Carol um, that she came to our home and, and she was the one who used that expression in the very early days postpartum of this being our new normal. Um, and that, that new normal shifts and changes, um, and particularly after a pregnancy, after a loss, you get thrown into an entirely new normal again. Um, I can directly delineate my life between losing Ava and the days before I lost Ava. Make no mistake, um, I'll never go back to that place. I am forever um, changed by her. Um, And I think that it is good to know that joy can return and that that doesn't 
make you complete, but rather it makes a new contentment come into your life. Mm. Melissa, to close up our lovely talk, do you have, we've talked a lot about the moms. Do you have any words for the partner who's, the, mm. and, and sometimes I feel that they get left off a lot, but I mean, they're going through a completely different level of grief because and specifically in your case, your husband was about to, you know, lost his daughter, but was also almost almost lost his wife. Yes, he did. Yeah. And and then having to be almost the f main support or or first support, first respondent for you while also going through his process. What words do you have for for partners? I have such a heavy and deep respect for partners that are supporting grief. Um, I have no words for the level of respect that I have for my husband watching how he um, cared for me and took care of us in a time that was very dark. Um, there's simply no words for it. When it comes to speaking to partners for what can be a very difficult time for them, I would say that... Um, it's so important to remember that that same compassion that you're showing to your, your spouse, um, you need to show it to you as well. Um, oftentimes you'll see men put on the back burner what they need to take care of to take care of their spouses in grief. Um, so I would encourage them to get some care as well, self-care in particular, to be able to do that. Um, don't shoulder it all. Don't shovel every driveway by yourself. Like, I know it feels like you can fix it all, but don't shovel it all by yourself. Um, you know, allow that help to come in from those people that are that are allowing it. Um, and that same notion of being able to have people that you can lean on for support is so key. Um, be that, you know, a really good friend that can listen really well or be that. Uh, professional supports as well. Men need the same support level we give women in loss. They just do. Um, it's simply up to their comfort level, um, but it should be available to them in the same level um, as as it is for women. You know, men grieve too, and they grieve equally. Um, just simply because it's not shown in the same way doesn't mean it's not equal. Um, and as women, we need to um, respect that space as well. Hmm. Absolutely. F Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa. Uh, what are you, some of your favorite resources for um, pregnancy after loss that listeners can, can check out? Oh, pregnancy after loss resources are a bit tougher. Um, I, I'll be honest, I really do glean to the preeclampsia.org and preeclampsiacanada.org because for me that was a huge resource as a preeclamptic woman after loss, being able to have those support groups and those um, that are there to reach out to them are key. Um, so those are going to be the two that I'm going to leave you with today because preeclampsia.org and preeclampsiacanada.ca actually um, really do provide a lot of medical information that are so key to a high med high needs medical um, pregnancy after loss. Um, so I would encourage women to check them out for sure. Mm, very cool. And if listeners want to connect with you and follow what you're doing, get your book, learn more, how can they do that? 
Please feel free to pick up my book on Amazon.com or Amazon.ca, as well as it is available for purchase on www.avastree.com. Feel free to follow along with our blog there, which probably desperately needs an update now that I'm thinking of it, um, and to read a little bit more about our story and uh, to get to connect with me there. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much again. It's such an honor to speak with you. And I am so inspired by all the work you do. Thank you. Thank you to you as well. I'm so glad I got to be here with you today. So thank you. Mighty Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. And if you're pregnant, don't forget to grab my birth partner's ultimate labor support toolkit at birthful.com slash toolkit. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the birthful Patreon supporters and by the wonderful people at naturalbreastfeeding.com. The title song for this podcast is Vibe Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>